The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 404. Yes, this podcast has been found for Sunday, June 24th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Hub, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, we provide some answers, we provide some tips of our own, we also do a little segment called Cool Stuff Found, and the goal of all of it is to learn a little something new each time we get together and have fun doing it. So, with that, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John Efron, and then back up to Durham, New Hampshire. Hampshire. With yeah, Pilot Pete, I'm here with you guys. Thanks for having me back. You know, John, it's funny. I uh, I meant to do this, of course, and it was meant for our 400th show, but I saved it for this uh, slightly humorous, at least in number 404 show, um, and I'm simply going to let it play. Hi, Dave and John, and Pilot Pete, wherever you may be. This is Barry from Chicago. Congratulations on episode number 400. Apologies for the procrastination, but starting way back in episode 338, Mr. Braun decided to have some fun with his locations. After a few episodes, Dave requested a summary. So in honor of number 400, here's a quick rundown. Oh, oh, you're going to do it that way. Okay, well, here in Connecticut, here on planet Earth, (laughs) and here somewhere in New England, and here on the second floor of my house, (laughs) in the office, (laughs) or what I call the office. Well, it's it's the room where all the computer stuff is. That's an office. John F. Braun. And here in, yeah, it's, it's still Fairfield, Connecticut. Is it? All right. Here from Durham, New Hampshire. United States, third stone from the sun. I'm Dave Hamilton. Thank you, Barry, for uh, for taking the time to do that. So I thought I thought listeners would appreciate the, uh, hearing the results of Barry's. That's funny. There. Had you heard that, John, or had he only sent that to me? Uh, he only sent it to you. But Barry is, as some of you may know, but Barry is the nicest Mac and just the nicest guy in the world. That's possible. Say. Yeah. He's certainly nicer than we are. <laughs> uh, so you said four. So so four oh four. So what's funny about four oh four? Four oh four. For those two who not who do not know, when you connect to a web server, underneath the covers there are these little codes that are sent back and forth. And what happens? And some of you may have seen this when you connect to a web page, and something is wrong, you will typically get a numerical error code, and the one that means I can't find what you're looking for for lack of a better, or not found, is 404. However, I would say that you have come across a 302, which means you have found us, and that is the code for found. Uh, Isn't 200 the code for found, John? Uh, No. No, it's 302. Is that right? Why why is is 200 a success? 302 is moved temporarily. 301 is moved permanently. 200 is okay. Don't mess, don't mess with me on this stuff. This is binary, stuff I live every day. Base 10, which of these? It's, 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 no, it's base 10. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. But no, three, it's three, the 300s are moved or somewhere else. It's definitely not in the 300s. It's, it's, you know, 200 or 202, depending on what you got going on. Well, actually, 302 found is a redirection code. 
I know it's moved, moved temporarily. We use it sometimes. Ow. I, listen, I do this stuff. This is what, you know. Well, I do this yeah. stuff, too. All right. Anyways, you found us. And we have Thank not you. moved. And now you're sorry. <laughs> and now you're sorry. All right. Let's go to Daryl. Daryl writes. Daryl, save us, please. He writes, my 15-inch MacBook Pro i7 is down as of yesterday morning with a failing hard drive. Another great Apple Care story so far where I scheduled an appointment for last night. They took notes about the clicking I heard and ran the file system check. Even though they didn't find issues, they're still ordering and replacing the drive. I still have the laptop as they wait for the drive to come in and was able to do a good backup. The question is on copying over the boot camp partition. I'm thinking of just striking it from the new drive. It's been more than a year since I booted into it. But do you have any suggestions on how to copy a boot camp partition onto the new drive? So, yeah, this is one of those things that is not copied when you do any sort of Mac oriented clone. Um, and really, other than jumping through a lot of hoops, there is but one way that at least that I found. And maybe, John, you've got something else repeat. But uh, I found something called win clone. Um, it, it's available at two It used to be free. It is not anymore. It's 20 bucks. I think uh, it's certainly not free. And I think from memory, it's 20 bucks. Uh, there is an article that uh, our good friend, Mr. Chris Breen wrote over at Macworld uh, a little while back, but it's still relevant for using WinClone and making it uh, copy over. And, and it is a pretty seamless process when you do it with WinClone. Otherwise you got to jump through a lot of hoops, um, but un unless you've found something better, Mr. Braun. No, I haven't. You know, I, I actually, I'm glad you brought this up to me because in the past we have mentioned this and yes, there was mention that WinClone was, it appeared to be abandoned, but apparently they got a lot of people saying, man, I got to copy my uh, partition. So, yeah, no, this is the uh, I'm, I'm looking at the page. This is the first I've seen of WinClone 3. So okay. I know a lot of people that have had very good experience with the prior version. So I, I, I see no reason. And, and hey, I mean, 20 bucks uh, versus recreating your partition. I'd, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And that is John uh, John F. Braun's air conditioner that we hear in the background. We've been uh, we're at what I would call the tail end of a heat wave here, but uh, but it's still a little muggy. And so that's why we hear the, the hiss from. Now, why are we doing this now, Dave? And I just I just want to do a little plug here because a lot of the people that uh, that that follow us and follow me and follow you uh, may be at this event. But uh, what what is happening next week and why we're doing this is that there is an event tomorrow night that I'm going to called Gadget Live or GDGT Live in Manhattan. Uh, and that's why we're basically doing this now because that's Monday night and, you know, I want to get on the train and, and get out to this. But this is the start of what I guess they call CE Week or CEA Line Shows, which I guess is a big, pretty much media-based uh, extravaganza in, uh, in Manhattan for... Uh, mostly media folks i guess to learn about all sorts of new technology so but but the gadget live show actually is open to everybody and that's tomorrow night in manhattan so we'll uh post a link to that of course uh but anybody can go to that show the rest of it i think is, is pretty much uh they make sure that you pretend to be media <laughs> no that's yeah gidget does a good show that the gadget of course is the, the the gadget site i guess it's called gadget it's not gidget that was the girl back in the on tv in the 70s Jolly uh, that's right um, uh, is Peter Rojas and Ryan Block's website. They, they were the original uh, 
founders, writers, whatever you want to call them of Engadget. So, uh, but they've been around for a couple of years, this gadget GDGT and, uh, and they do good events. They, uh, okay. It's good. And, and right now, if you want to, if you go to events.gdgt.com, you can sign up, uh, I'm looking right now. You can sign up to go to the event tomorrow night. So, so of course, John, when John says why we're doing this, what he means is recording on Sunday night instead of what has become our typical Monday afternoon. But we are at uh, Sunday night, which is our original time. So it is kind of nice to get back to that, albeit for one week at, at least. All right. Uh, moving on to Rob. Actually, you know what? I'm really excited to talk about our first sponsor, which is Smile. So I want to do that now. Uh, Smile this week, last week, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, recently, last several days, released Text Expander 4. And, uh, and you know, Text Expander is one of my favorite uh, apps to use. And it's, uh, you know, I, I couldn't possibly live without Text Expander. In, in, in short, what it does is it allows you to create little snippets uh, that and they actually they can actually be large snippets of text that you then assign a shortcut to and it monitors everything you type unless you tell it not to and when you type the little shortcut for this larger snippet it inserts it but of course it does so much more than that you can actually have it uh, tick off an apple script you can have it uh, insert contents of the clipboard in certain parts of your snippet, you can have it insert the date. And now with the new uh, text expander, you can create what's called uh, fill in the blank snippets. And this is with text expander four. And, and what that means, it's really cool. When you, when you fire off one of these snippets, it actually uh, shows you kind of like a, it, it's almost like building a form letter, if you will. And it's got all your, your static text there and then little fields that you can jump between and you can either type in something or you can choose from a list and you can have it pick a default. It's really, really cool. And, and I can see it saving a ton of time because there are those snippets where you're like, yeah, I want to do this, but I want to have customized information in there. But, you know, in general, the form is the same. And I've I've done this with text expander and just, you know, left space for things. And in fact, I have one whenever I send out notification for Mac Geek Gab and I've got it. I can't just it's more than one piece of information, so I can't just use the clipboard. And so I've had to remember to go in and, oh, yeah, I got to insert this here and insert that there. Well, no longer because I can do this fill in the blank thing where it jumps me through and make sure I don't miss anything. So it really good, good stuff. And uh, and I highly encourage you to check it out. Uh, of course, there is a free demo if you go to smilesoftware.com. And that is the uh, the first place to start. And then uh, and then you can buy uh, after that. It's uh, it's thirty five bucks, thirty four dollars uh, for thirty four ninety five for uh, people new to the software. And if you have a prior version of Text Expander, uh, it's only fifteen bucks to upgrade to Text Expander four. So it's it's uh, definitely go check it out. You got nothing to lose trying it out for free. And well, you do because you're going to buy it. Uh, but that's really not a loss. Um, but you're definitely going to, you're definitely going to go get it. Pete, you're a yeah, text I, expander I user. I bought text expander for yesterday. I've been playing with uh-huh. it. Uh, Don McAllister has a great tutorial on four already oh, out. Awesome. So all the features there, he runs through them and man, is it fun. It was, a, I was able to customize signatures and all kinds of stuff that I, before I just had one signature. Now it allows you to use that one keystroke for all your signatures and then just choose which one you want it to insert. And 
Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's good like, stuff. Oh man, is it nice? Yep. Yeah. And and we are going to get John uh, using it before the end of 2012. <laughs> <laughs> he okay. laughs, but you know. All right. In so, what universe? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, somebody, and it shouldn't be me, uh, should be doing these like live show notes. Like, like he just mentioned, Pete just mentioned the text expander screencast that Don did. And so I, here's how it works. I have a text expander snippet that I use as SN for show notes. And what it does is it takes the link of the, uh, the website that I've copied to the clipboard. It puts it in the form that we need for the show notes and then positions my cursor right at where I was going to, you know, where I need to type the labels. So while we're talking here, I can quickly insert this thing into a text document. And that's how we have the kind of, you know, immediate, but not yet fully complete, uh, but, you know, framework of show notes uh, before we go. But anyway, that's text expander for it. So uh, good stuff. All right, Rob, are we ready for Rob? I think we're ready for Rob. We are ready. Okay. Rob writes this past Friday night, my 480 gig SSD crashed on me and I had to resort to my backups going uh, through my backups and trying to restore took much longer than it should have. It was quite eye opening and I thought I'd share what I learned and get some feedback. Uh, and he says, that's why I'm writing to feedback at MacGeekab.com. Dave, did he say feedback at MacGeekab.com? I think that's what he said. Feedback. Man, geek, geek, dot, kind of, never mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'll quit talking now. <laughs> he says, I've used Macs for over 10 years, and for the past six or seven years, I've used a MacBook Pro as my main computer. Currently, I'm using a 17-inch MacBook Pro bought in February 2009, currently running Lion 1074. I use this computer both at home and at work and carry it back and forth. I have no backup at work, so I do them when the computer's at home. I bought the SSD a year ago, and this is the first time I've ever had a main hard drive fail in over 10 years. So this is the first time I've had to implement a full restore. Here's the backup plan that I was using. I was cloning, uh, and I would occasionally test the clones, but usually I only cloned on weekends. Number two was Time Machine. I was running two Time Machine backups, and I would switch them out every few days or so. I rarely need to fetch a file from these, so I poked around in them seldom. I almost always plugged in one of the disks and let Time Machine make its backups on a nightly basis. Number three is I'm using Backblaze. I've been using that for several years as an offsite backup, and I've never had to restore from it. It was set to backup nearly everything. And lastly, uh, well, number four is I'm using ARQ from Haystack Software, which backs up files to your Amazon S3 account. And then number five, I'm using Dropbox for some of my files. Uh, the overall thought behind my backup plan was to make a periodic clone and capture the in-between file changes with Time Machine. I thought that if I ever needed to restore, I'd simply swap out the dead drive for one of the clones and restore the file differences from Time Machine. And he goes on to talk about uh, what he has learned. And really, the, uh, the larger lesson from his story is that you need to understand exactly how your backups work, especially in terms of how you can restore from them. But it really that really is part of backing up. And and part of the reason is that, you know, he went through this this restore here and realized time machine failed him. Uh, it only it, it's good for periodically grabbing files, but he found that doing a full restore from time machine was maddening uh, because he didn't want to have to start from, you know, from where that came from. Backblaze uh, is fine again for getting individual files, but getting everything back is either going to take for a very long time or you're going to have to have them ship you a disc. 
and uh, Dropbox. He says he, he should be using Dropbox more. And he says clones, you have to clone every day. And I would agree with this. I think that's the, the least frequent you can clone and still rely on it. Uh, but, uh, but, but you really need to, you need to take a step back with your backups and, and kind of the moral of Rob's story here is that you need to take a look at how would you recover? If you took your main hard drive out of the mix, how would you get back to where you're going? And, and, you know, in Rob's case, if he had been cloning more frequently and if he had been dropboxing more of his active files or all of his active files, uh, he essentially would have been able to boot from the clone. And then Dropbox would pretty much automatically pull down all the new stuff and he's back in business. But he didn't. He had a clone that was, you know, a week old and Dropbox didn't have everything. And so he needed to piece together all of his data from many different sources. And that's not good. So Time Machine, great for the incremental stuff. Great for individual files. Really not all that great for the uh, for the full restore because it, because it's such a cumbersome process. So, John, you have any thoughts on this? You betcha. All right. And I would say the order in which he listed these, I, I think is important. So number one, the cloning is critical. I really think it is. It's, you know, it's something. Yeah. And that, so, so you and I, I think are, are torn. Well, not torn, but no, I, I, I prefer carbon copy cloner. I believe you are a super duper guy. You know what? But let's let's talk about that. And and then okay. I, I do want to hear your story. But but this is interesting because I, I interviewed and and this this actually interview started out very interesting. I interviewed carbon copy cloners author and we've always called him Mike Bombich. His name. Oh, yep. But but this it's really funny. Um, his name is, uh, so I sat down with him and I said, you know, cause I, the way we do the interviews is actually funny. Uh, Did you say hi, Mike. I said, I, well, I turned on the recorder and we record the interview and then I send the audio back to either John Martellero or Julie cool back here at TMO headquarters. And they go through the laborious process of transcoding, uh, you know, transcribing rather the, the interview. And, and so, um, with, uh, with Mike, I sat down and I said, I'm here with Mike Bombich. And he stopped and he handed me his <laughs> business card. And uh, and I'm looking for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. So his business card on one side says it lists his name. It lists his software company and his email address and that is, has his logo. And he flipped it over and he handed it to me. And in quotes on the back, and that's important to keep this G rated that I've said this in the in the order that I've said it, but uh, but his business card on the back says, "Like the pen, not the dog." And his last <laughs> name spelled B O M B I C H, so it is pronounced Mike Bombick. Bick, Bick, Bick is in a big pen. Correct. Which I believe is that's right. I believe they're made in. Uh, I thought they were made in Connecticut, but that's besides the point. Yeah. But oh so, my gosh! But, but I learned We've something. Been screwing it up. All this I know. <laughs> Well, oh, we're clearly sorry, not the, we're clearly sorry, not the only ones, but, but the, you know, I talked to him about the reason I had always gone with super duper over carbon copy cloner was because up until very recently, you could not pay for carbon copy cloner. And my feeling was well, you could donate. Yeah, it, you could. And, and he's still got an interesting pricing structure, but it's, it's more obvious how to give him okay. money now. Okay. And my feeling was if I'm going to rely on this software, a, if I'm going to rely on it, period, and B, if I'm going to rely on it for my backups, I want to feel like this person is in business 
for the long haul. And and when I can't pay for software, it clearly something else is funding this person's life. And at any point that may take over. And what I never knew was up until about a year ago, Mike worked for Apple on the sales team. And he he left that job and now is doing Bombic software uh, full time. And uh, and 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 so that was the reason he was never you know, he couldn't charge for his software while he was also working for Apple. And, and you know, anybody that knows anything about Apple understands why that's the case, uh, because it's not Apple's software. It's Mike's. So essentially he had to give it away. But uh, but but I felt a whole lot better. And, and, you know, as it always is, when you learn the full story, you know, you, you see a clearer picture. So I do feel a whole lot better about Carbon Copy Cloner now. And it does some things that Super Duper does not like cloning the uh, recovery partition. But now that I've taken okay. us on that detour, I will hand the reins happily back to you, Mr. Braun, to talk through your backup well, no, strategy. To me, I, I where you I, were. <laughs> well, no, to me, it was just, it always worked for me, Dave. Sure. It always, uh, of course. It, it alerted me to what was happening and uh, more times that I can count, I think, especially doing reviews of drives, mostly in my portables, I would take and I would trust his software to clone what was on my mechanical drive to either an SSD or a new drive. And it would always do the job. So just because I've never run into a problem with his software, I just trusted it implicitly. Sure. So, Oh, and I'm happy. And I was I think, always and, happy. And, to I recommend threw, it. and, and yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive. I've thrown him a couple of bucks for a donation, but I can understand your, your standpoint. But to me, I would say that that software along with super duper, I would say are on equal footing as far as cloning software in that, it takes what's on your drive, copies it exactly to another drive. And, and to me, the benefit, and, and just to make this clear, is that that drive will be bootable. It will be an exact copy. And that's not necessarily the case, or uh, I'll put it this way. It's not necessarily the case without some extra work with some of the other methods that... Right came up in the question that we just got from Rob, which is, uh, for example, Time Machine. Time Machine does not create a copy that you can boot from. Now, you can certainly, if you install the OS, and then at some point you get to the point where it says, oh, by the way, would you like me to suck the data from a Time Machine backup? And you say, sure. But but to me, that's not as direct as a clone from either a carbon copy clone or a super duper. So but, cloning and, to yeah. me is essential. Time machine is secondary. And as Dave and I have discussed, second uh, time machine screws up sometimes. It's it confused. It doesn't get everything. So so I would not rely on time machine. I would I would uh, absolutely rely on either super duper or carbon copy cloner as something that if, if you're going to start from scratch or just want a full something you can go back to and rely on that. That's what I do. Well, the thing is you guys always say multi-layer anyway, which right. I've taken that advice because I got to tell you, I don't know if you remember, it was about a year ago. I, I had a clone drive and it went bango on me and I toes, was like, okay. we call that toes up here. Yeah, in yeah, toes up. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, so the next thing I know, uh, I, somehow I screwed it up and I tried to put something back on that drive from the corrupt drive in my machine and I gurred my clone. And I'm like, that's ah, okay. I've got Carbonite. And I went that, and that's when Carbonite started. I just went to restore from that and it started putting every file on my desktop. Tens of thousands of files on my desktop. I'm like, oh, this ain't so good either. So it was a total debacle. I finally was able to piece myself back together using Time Machine and 
uh, Dropbox. And I, at that time, I'd use SuperDuper. I've used both of those. Um, I, I don't know about Carbon Copy Clone or SuperDuper's email support was good when I needed yeah. their help the one time. Yeah, Mike, so, Mike's but, support at, yeah. at Carbon Copy Cloner, he, he told me a lot about yeah. it, and you can read about it in the interview. I'll find the uh, the interview, and we'll put it in the show notes. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's all good. All right, well we we we've we've probably preached on this one enough. I think it's I think it's time to move on. We could we could preach on this uh, for a long time. Uh, and and we I guess we the only thing I'd has. say though is that you probably want to have on. two types of backups. One is a backup that's bootable, in which case yes, it's carbon copy cloner or super duper. And another, which I I think was hinted at here, which is a data backup. And and I think you probably want to maintain. Or at least get your mind around that you probably want to have one. You probably want to have one and the other. Yeah, that's just what that's just the way I'm going to do. Because, because for example, I have a lot of data files that I do in both SuperDuper. Uh, I'm sorry, SugarSync and Dropbox, and that's my data repository. But for my bootable clone, I will rely on Carbon Copy Cloner and. Uh, or, or uh, so again, you may want to think when, when you're doing your strategy, you may want to think about how to separate those two because the, yeah, it's, it's different. Important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, on the, uh, on the time machine thing, we do have what I believe is a geek challenge. So we'll let Todd ask the question. We'll clarify a little bit and then we'll, then we'll move on. Hi, geek dabbers. This is ADD Todd here. Uh, got kind of a hard one for you. Do you remember the last time you added a new hard drive to your time machine backup? Um, you know that little panel that pops up tells you how much is backing up, how much free space on, and so forth. Not the system system preferences panel, but a little smaller panel. Is there any way to keep that showing whenever I do a backup? I don't keep my time machine plugged in all the time. And I like that because it shows me how much it is backed up and how much it has left to be backed up. Yes, I know. Time Machine in System Preferences will show that in addition to everything else, but I like that little panel. But let me know on the regular show. I'm not a Prime subscriber. If I had money, I probably would be. <laughs> keep up the good work, keep having fun, and don't get caught. Bye-bye. Yeah, you bet, Todd. So what what Todd's talking about is when you do your first time machine backup, or as he said, when you add a drive or a significant amount of data to time machine, you get this little progress window that really kind of floats in the finder uh, that that shows you how far along in the backup you are. And Apple does that because it's going to take hours uh, as opposed to, you know, just the quick little thing that uh, that lives in the menu bar. I do not. I, I know exactly what he why he wants this. It makes total sense to me that, you know, he would want to see a progress bar. Uh, I do not know of any way to force that thing to appear. John, do you? No. All right. Well, it's a geek challenge. Then <laughs> it, that makes it, it official. Secrets. I just look there. It's not in secrets. Yeah, I, I it's a it's the first time I've even heard that request. But when I heard it, it, it resonated. It was like, yeah, if you've got the screen real estate, why wouldn't you have that? You know, it, it, if nothing else, you get used to seeing it and probably notice when you don't. And that would be the best way to know that time machines failing. Cause otherwise you're in the dark, but anyway, so if anybody knows that would be a, a valuable little tip to share with not only Todd, but everybody else. So share it if you got it. And now John, Kevin, 
This is an awesome question. I love this one. Kevin says, hi, guys. Kevin from Connecticut. And he says he's a hair north of Fairfield. All right. There's a lot of Connecticut. We're a tiny state, but there's there's a lot of most of the state is north of Fairfield. But but, yeah. All right. I I would say almost all of the state yeah, is well, north not, of Fairfield. You know, like Stamford, Norwalk, Greenwich. All well, that's... I'm 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 on the coast. Yeah, but the, but the coast actually goes further south, right? But yeah, we're we're splitting here. Correct. We're splitting, a, we're splitting latitude lines. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm sorry, Connecticut residents, but anything north of where I'm at is kind of scary, dude. That's where Connecticut <laughs> gets pretty. What are you talking about? That's this. That's you. That's Mr. Fairfield County. Mr. Nose in the air talking. I, I've lived north of there. Yes. In that. I, I, I don't know. I hear the banjos playing when I get north, north of Fairfield. Dude, there's some areas <laughs> around Hartford that are beautiful. We were over in New Fairfield, oh, no, they, they, which was they are. awesome. I loved New Fairfield. Sort of, you know, for Connecticut. But there are some that get a, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say hillbilly. And uh, uh, right now I'm going to stop. Yeah, that's a good move. Because we're, cause we're in <laughs> Connecticut. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kevin says, I got, <laughs> when I emptied the trash in iPhoto, are those photos really gone? Or are there snippets lying around somewhere? I'm not in a disaster recovery panic here. Just want to make sure some items are gone. Baby, gone. Thanks, Kevin. And I love this question because the thing is, to answer his question, no, they are not gone. All right. And this gets very interesting. And it's both and both iPhoto and Aperture do the same thing. So if you take photos in either iPhoto or Aperture and you delete them, they do not get deleted. What they get put into is and it's very similar to mail. It's actually they get put into a special folder within the application called trash, whether it be iPhoto trash or Aperture trash. And they get put in there. Now, that's good in that if you want to retrieve them, you can, but it's bad if you really want to get rid of them. Now, the thing is, if you go into either application, now here's step two, you can say empty iPhoto trash or empty aperture trash. Well, you may think that that gets rid of them, but it does not really. What it does is it then puts them in the OS X or finder trash. And if you look in your trash, you will then see them in the trash there. Well, to get rid of them really, really forever. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to take that back. So then the third step is to go into your finder trash and to empty that. But to answer his question, if you really, 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 because I'm, uh, I'm not sure what's behind this question. If it's, uh, uh, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. But if you really want to get rid of them, so number one, there is local trash in the application that is not gone. Number two, in the finder, that is not really gone. Once you empty the trash in the finder, I would say that's probably mostly gone. <laughs> but if you really want to get rid of it, because there are utilities, for example, ProSoft has something called Data Rescue. Now, the thing is, if you delete a file as... as some may know, but if you don't, if you delete a file, you're really not getting rid of the data. You're just getting rid of a reference to it. And things like Data Rescue from our friends at ProSoft can, if you haven't done too much to your hard drive, can retrieve that. 
So my advice to him was, if you really, really, really want to get rid of stuff, so once you empty your trash, if you really want to make sure that whatever was in your trash, be it photos from iPhoto or Aperture or whatever, go into disutility and then highlight your drive and then you will see an erase tab and you will see a button, erase free space, dot, dot, dot. What does that do? What that does is that will scour or zero out, or I think there's a number of options, but it basically eliminates all free space, which if you've deleted a file, it is now free space. But what that does is basically wipes that data out so it is unrecoverable by anybody, including data rescue. Or, well, maybe if you work for a <laughs> uh, well-funded uh, government laboratory. Three they may agency. be able to, a, a, a TLA, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or NSA, as we called it, right? R- no remind me when we're, and I hate to do this while we're recording. I, I apologize, everybody. Remind me to tell you my story that I can't share about three-letter agencies, John. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Well, again, NSA, no such agency. But suffice to say, if you do a race-free space, uh, most people will not be able to retrieve the data that you've gotten rid of. So, All right. Well, cool. it, my faster solution is encrypt your hard drive. Don't tell anyone the password, especially on a on a uh, solid state drive, because you don't want to be wiping your free space on there. Encrypt your hard drive. Don't tell anyone the password. I mean, you still delete, you know, throw it in the trash and empty your trash, but you should be golden. That's true, because as uh, I think I mentioned it in the last, well, it was a premium show, so I'll, I'll be sure and mention it here. Uh, I learned recently that uh, File Vault 2 encrypts everything on your drive including free space so yeah that's actually yeah 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 i highly encourage you to use file vault too especially on portable machines but even on desktops i mean it it, the the speed impact of that is is yeah nil i've i have yet to see a machine that's slow i'm sure we could find one but uh but i have yet to see one and i've i've done it on machines that are you know four and five years old so with and the last yeah. thing I'll yeah, mention, go ahead, John. Yeah. it just occurred to me, is in the Finder, there is also another option, which I think does a baby version of the erase-free space, and that if you look in Lion, or I think even, well, I'm looking right now, Snow Leopard, if you go in the Finder menu, you will see an option, Secure Empty Trash. And I believe that does the same thing on a smaller scale, is it That's will right. scrub whatever files are in the trash and we'll basically write over them. So they are not recoverable by. Yeah, but, again, it, you, but you can't do that with iPhoto. And a quick question. Yeah. If, if you have your drive encrypted and you clone it, your clone should be encrypted as well, right? It's going no. to be a boot. It does no, because no? you're cloning the, the you're unencrypted the drive. Yes. Yes. Well, I thought, you know, the whole boot sector, if it just did it exactly, then it would be. But, yeah, but yeah, you're no. mounting the drive yeah, yeah, to yeah. clone it. Yeah. And gotcha. therefore, and actually, that's really important to know. All yeah. the cloning stuff that we talk about does not do a, a block clone of the drive. It actually just goes and reads the files and writes the files. So if you have, you know, 100 gigs of data on a 300 gig drive, it's not going to cop. It's not going to clone 300 gigs. It's going to clone. Well, the first time it's going to clone 100 because that's what's there. The second time and all subsequent times, certainly with with Carbon Copy Cloner and Super Duper, it's only going to clone. Assuming you say it this way, it's only going to clone the changes. That's yeah. right. So it's, okay. it happens much faster and 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 
uh, and more efficiently in terms of, you know, not beating the heck out of the drive. So. All right. We good to move on to Corey here, John. Think so. All right, cool. Uh, Corey writes, I'm having problems with my Wi-Fi network and I've tried some of your techniques to fix without working, uh, without it working. I'll be surfing with my MacBook air and it will lose connectivity to the internet. I wait, wait, wait. And then it comes back. Here's what I have for a network. I have two airport extremes and one airport express all wired together with cat five. One airport extreme works very well. They are all set up to create a wireless network. I tried to extend a wireless network and that didn't work at all. It, that it forces me to create a wireless network when it's plugged in. I think extend means it's using Wi-Fi to repeat. Create means it's using ethernet wired to repeat and then creating a hotspot from there. That is correct. Uh, he says I've downloaded iStumbler and found that all airport extremes have great connectivity. There was a little more traffic in one spectrum of the band. So I moved all the channels to 11 for the 2.4 gigahertz band. Still no luck. Any ideas? Yeah. So as I said, you're right about, about uh, extend being the right thing to do. Uh, your problem is that I think you're creating your own interference by having all your devices on the same channel. You do not want that. You want to have the same SSID. So the same network name, you want to have the same security so if you're using WPA2 on one, you want to use that on all of them and you want the password to be the same. So same SSID, same security, different channel. Uh, and, and you, in theory, would like to have, if you've got three of them, you want to have them on, uh, on channels that don't overlap. And, and here in the States, that's channel one, channel six and channel 11. Uh, you might be able to fit them into three or eight, depending on what your neighbors have. Uh, it's non-optimal, but you know, if you've got other traffic, that's just non-optimal, uh, five gigahertz devices. You want to put one up on in the, you know, the one forty plus range and another down in the like 30 to 60 range for the same reason. You don't want them overlapping. Um, also, for SSIDs, you want this. I said you want the same SSID, and that's true. But you only want the same SSID for one frequency band. So, you know, 2.4 gigahertz, you want one SSID. 5 gigahertz, you want a different SSID because you're likely going to use those for different purposes. And you don't want your devices getting confused. So, you know, name one SSID, you know, Dave's Network 2.4 and the other Dave's Network 5. And that way you're sure to choose uh, what you want. And uh, and one last thing I'll throw in here before I throw it to you, John, is that iStumbler is a fantastic piece of software. Again, it's free. Uh, but, you know, Alf Watt, the guy that I hope I'm not speaking out of school here. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm sure I'm not. It's not private data. You could find it out if you looked. Alf is on the airport team at Apple. So not only does he write the utility for us to check all this stuff from, you know, from, from our desktops. He's also writing the software that makes all this stuff work. So iStumbler is absolutely the right utility to use. And it's now it's got this cool spectrum thing where you can actually see where the holes are in your network and where the overlap is. It looks really cool. So, uh, so go check that out. It's in the betas. So you got to kind of dig in and find them in the betas, but we'll, you know, we'll put links out there. So, um, so any, any thoughts there, John? I don't know. I'm I still have problems on my MacBook Pro running Lion connecting to my time capsule. 
where sometimes it still doesn't work. It just sits there. It looks, it looks, it looks. And I know it sounds like a, a channel interference thing. That can't be. Cause it just yeah, works. but the thing is, I mean, you know, I know what I know. I know you know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it just sits there, and eventually, I, I, I still think because I, I've heard of a number of people, and I suspect it's a subtle bug in the airport hardware in this class of machine and time capsule. I don't know. Sometimes it sits there, and you know, I see the little, you know, icon. You know, I see the little wave moving, and it just it doesn't find my time capsule when it wakes from sleep. I've had a number of problems waking from sleep with my computer. Maybe try going to sleep earlier. So. <laughs> don't drink alcohol within three hours of going to bed. <laughs> well, I don't pour alcohol in the computer typically. Yeah, well, it's better than water. The last time what I did that, it was really bad. <laughs> well, actually, it's not the alcohol that's your problem. It's the uh, it's the adulterants in there. But um, nope, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, yeah. you know, the channel separation and uh, now I I, I have an interesting. I like guys somewhere though, but and, and I actually I suggested to someone because he was uh, someone actually wrote to me saying, "Oh, I'm having problems," and here's the graph of what I'm seeing. And the thing was, I, I noticed the, the view that I think you're talking about, Dave, which is the spectrum view. And yeah. I think that's best view in iStumbler. I, uh, uh, my observation was the other view is not necessarily of a real time view of what's happening. And that somebody sent me a graph saying, I'm seeing this and it showed little chunks of. Right. Uh, of activity. Bandwidth. And I'm like, well, you know, and, and I tried the same thing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm seeing the same thing. Now, either it's because of my time capsule or the hardware in my MacBook Pro, or it's just iSumbler sometimes doesn't always do full-time polling of all Wi-Fi data. I've but seen the, that too. Yeah. Spectrum view definitely did. It showed little, you know, blobs on one, like you mentioned, one, six, and 11. And I'm like, oh, that that's what you want to see. That's what you want to look at to say, what, what is congested in my area and what, what should I go to or not go to? I, I have an interesting anecdote from earlier today to share. My, my son and I were, were looking to over-engineer a solution to one of our Sonos units that was dropping out. And we did. We did it with Powerline, actually. So we totally bypassed the wireless but during the process, I wanted to explain to him, you know, how all this works. And I used the iStumbler graph and I showed him, you know, we have our 2.4 networks on uh, on on one and 11 because we have two of them. But I showed him, I said, look, if we go to this corner of the house, we can find this other. He's like, what's this other network? It's called Odd Duck. I'm like, yeah, it's one of the neighbors and they're on channel six. And that's where the Sonos lives. And uh, and what he said to me was really funny. He said, well, dad. You know, remember we watched that show Person of Interest and that guy said that it, most people just use their phone numbers as their Wi-Fi passwords. Why don't we just log into their network and change their channel? And I thought that was really telling, especially coming from a 10 year old. <laughs> now, this is definitely my kid. Right. I mean, this is not I'm not surprised. Of course, That's it was beautiful. Very, I was very proud. Uh, and we didn't log into the network yet. Um, but but because we really didn't want to change his channel, it's fine that he's on six. We just needed to, you know, kind of beef up our our mm. uh, our 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 transmission. I think it may I think so. it may say something about how his dad chooses his wireless passwords. Uh, no, no. He said it from a, he, 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 as I said, he, he got it from that television <laughs> show where the guy said, okay. but it is, it is actually how I for years chose wireless passwords because when we had to use WEP, uh, you could do 64 bit WEP 
with a 10 digit password. Now it was 10 digit hex, but it was really easy to use, you know, area code and phone number. And that's 10 digits. And man, it was easy to remember. And when I was doing consulting, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have people forgetting their wireless passwords and calling me and me saying, shit, let me check in your in your logs. I could just look at my caller ID and tell them what to type. And it worked. So it was, you know, there is a reason for this. But uh, but yes, yes. So anyway, thought that was kind of funny. Um, And I think it is what they use because they still use WEP on that network. But but anyway, WEP. Oh, uh, you know, I also told them, I said, well, if it's not their phone number, it's WEP. I said, if we wanted to, we could hack it in about three hours. But, you know, we didn't. uh, we didn't do that either. We, we, like I said, we solved the problem a different way. So anyway, uh, and that's your story and you're stuck with it. Yeah. I, I do, uh, want to talk about our second sponsor, which is gazelle gazelle.com is the place to visit. And really it's just fun to visit. Even if you don't have anything to sell at the moment, just go there and type in, you know, pick, pick your MacBook or your, your iPad or your old iPod or, you know, whatever you got and put it in and they'll tell you, you know, they ask you some questions about what it, the value is and, or I'm sorry, what condition is and that sort of thing. And then they tell you the value. And if you do want to sell it to them, they'll send you a box free of charge. Uh, you put your stuff in the box free of charge and takes your time to put it in. And then they'll cover the shipping back to them. They take a look at it. They make sure that the quality matches what you said it was. And then they send you a check. Uh, if the quality is different, either better or worse. And let me tell you, we get emails from, from you, our listeners all the time telling us about gazelle and how great their support is. Um, and, and specifically we've gotten a, quite a few who of you who have said, yeah, look, I sent something in. I thought it was good. They came back and they said it was best. And so I got an extra, you know, whatever 5% or whatever it was, but they won't just ship it to you. They'll, they'll ask you They'll say, look, the number is going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be more, but it is different if you want it back. Cause now you realize it's in better condition than you thought. Uh, we'll go ahead and ship it back to you again. No charge to you. Otherwise uh, that, you know, you take the money and run. And uh, and you can have fun just checking out what your stuff's work worth at gazelle dot com. And uh, and, you know, it's a great thing if you've got old iPods, you know, collecting dust in the corner, you can turn those into cash really, really fast. You know, today's Sunday. You can have that cash by the end of the week. So uh, so check it out. Gazelle dot com. And uh, and we'll go to Joe. That's good. Let's go to uh, to Joe. Joe. Right. Uh, I have two questions and I can't believe I can't find this answer, but I want to modify the default behavior of mail.app. Number one, I want to turn off the count in all the folders. I'm bringing over large numbers of folders and mail and the count numbers take too much space in the name in the sidebar there in mail. Number two, I was pretty sure that one could rename the mail flags to be unique names, but I can't seem to find a way to do it. All right, I'm going to take number one. John, you're going to take number two. So for number one, that count is the count of unread messages. And really, there's no way, at least not that I've found, to tell mail not to show those. So uh, you want to go through and mark them all red. Now, you could do that mailbox by mailbox, but that would potentially take a very long time and be tedious because you have to do it mailbox by mailbox. But you could go into a mailbox, highlight all the messages, go to the message menu, go to mark and choose as red. But I have a better way. If you want to mark all your unread mail as red or unread mail from specific mailboxes or a group of mailboxes, create a smart mailbox and make the criteria shows unread messages 
or unread messages and not from inbox, maybe because you don't want to mark your inbox as read. And then that smart mailbox is going to show everything that's unread. Go in there, highlight them all. And you only have to do this once. Go to the message menu, go to mark and choose as read. And magically, they're all marked red everywhere. So that's my answer for you. And remember, and, it, and it's a, you know, kind of the meta uh, message there is don't forget about smart mailboxes, especially when you're troubleshooting. It can be a really helpful thing, even if it's something you're not going to use long term. Uh, I certainly used it for iTunes match. Of course, it's smart playlists, not smart mailboxes. And we'll talk about iTunes match in a future show. I don't want to get off on a yet another tangent here, uh, especially when we've got question number two that I believe John has an answer for. And we may have question number three about smart mailboxes, if you'll entertain it. But sure. let, let's get to number two, because I found something very interesting about smart mailboxes, Dave. A hack. Ah. It's very cool. All right. But anyways, rewind. Question number two. Is there a way to change the name of, and, and they keep changing this, so I, I think they're called labels and now they're flags. So the question was, can I change the name of these things? And the thing is, yes, you can. Now, there are two ways to do this. I'm going to offer you the geeky way. Well, no, I'm going to offer you the, the, the easier way to do it through the mail interface. Check this out. And this is kind of cool because I didn't know this. Not that I use these flags that much. So the thing is, if you highlight something in mail app and then you, you, you apply a label to it, um, what happens is that then in the left hand uh, in the in mail app, you will see a category called reminders. And you will see something called flagged. And if you highlight a message with a flag, you will see them in the reminders section of mail. Now, here's the fun part. You just highlight messages, and I found this out because this is what I was doing. If you highlight messages in just one flag color and you got a flagged, well, you're not going to really see much. Here's where it gets interesting. If you then highlight in more than one flag color, then you can change the name of the flags. Oh, interesting. And this works in, in Lion. Is that right, John? Yes. Okay. Absolutely, because I'm looking at it right now on my MacBook Pro. Good. And right now, so I'm clicking. So I'm looking, and in the reminders sidebar, if I click now or double click on the red flag, which is the one I think most people select because it's the first one, if you double click on the flag, it will then let you change the name of it. Uh -huh. Now, again, the thing is you have to have more than one flag color selected for this to work in mail app. So that's the kind of nice way to do it in the UI. The other way to do this is you can go to your home directory preferences, com.apple.mail.plist and go to the flag names key. But that's, oh, well, it's geeky. Hey, yeah. listening to the show. Right. <laughs> but that's the, that's the way to do it underneath the covers. Very is cool. To modify that plist file. And will secrets do this or anything gooey like? I did not. I, I did not find it in secrets. No, okay. I found you either have to apply more than one flag color, and you can do it through the mail UI, or just go to preferences. list and you can do it. Um, I, I have a question about secrets because we talk about it all the time. Uh, obviously, you use it 
Pete, I know uses it. I don't have it installed on any of my Macs. Is is there any harm? Is there does it run any process all the time, or is it just a way of tweaking what would otherwise be in P list files? Secret, Dave. I we know. can't tell. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. As far as I can tell, it is a pref pane that. It, Again, as far as I can tell, it's modifying a lot of these plist files, and, and that's it. I think versus you doing it yourself. Okay, so it's not running anything a hundred percent of the time. That's that's going to potentially make it flaky. It's just whatever changes I choose to make, I use secrets to do them, and then and then that's it. It's a GUI instead of a command as line. It's a GUI yeah. instead of a CLI. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Cool. Thanks. And John, you said you had a question about smart mailboxes you wanted to pose. Ah, okay. Now let me see if I can find this. Okay, smart mailbox hack. Okay. So James wrote in. So this is totally unscripted, Dave, because uh, he wrote into us. So, so, anyways, James wrote into us and and basically suggested a way that you could do smart smart mailboxes in a kind of convoluted way. And I agreed with him. It, it was a way to do it. So you could basically set up different mailboxes, smart yeah. mailboxes. And, and I think the thing is you could basically, I think what he was getting at is you could daisy chain one we, smart. We talked about smart, this in a previous show. I saw his email and, and, and it's exactly what we described in a previous show. Okay. Setting up because so, you can't nest them like you can in iTunes. You can't nest right. criteria. So what you do is you create. Yeah, we we came up with this. In, I don't know, right. two shows ago. So here's what I found, and this is the bee's knees. All right. I think I've said some other things to the bee. But this, I did this, and I couldn't believe that it worked. Okay. So I found a hint at uh, hints.macworld.com, which is just the, there's a lot of good hints there. Yeah, yeah. And basically, there is another entity called a smart mailbox folder that right. you can create mail.com, that you can create in mail app. Okay. Now, normally... Smart mailbox folders are kind of lame because all they let you do is put other smart mailboxes in it. Right. Here's what the tip lets you do. So it's kind of geeky, but then that's why you're listening to us. Yeah. If you go into um, the plist file for the smart mailboxes and modify the type on the uh, folder here, and let me let me let me uh, send you the link, Dave. But basically, what ha- the the gist of this is that if you create a smart mailbox folder, which is normally useless, and then you go into the prep file and you change a value, it then turns into a real folder, which then lets you. Oh, you can build criteria report. based on it. Yes. Ah. So it lets you do what you and I were looking for in that it lets you incorporate other smart folders. Into okay. It. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, oh, that's cool. I don't so you know, can, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. no idea. So basically what you do is you highlight this. And this still, I, I, I saw this hint. It's from, it is from six years ago. So is it six and a but half? It works. It still works. Okay, good. I tried wow. it. And as soon as I tried it, the two folders underneath it, reflected into the higher level folder. Now, I have no idea. And oh, gosh, Got it. anybody at Apple, let me know why you didn't enable this functionality, yeah, because yeah, yeah. this is what so many people are looking for is why can I not create a smart mailbox folder that incorporates the functionality of other folders? Right. 
And wow, all this requires cool. you to do is jump into a PS file, change it from, I think, uh, 18 to 16. There, yeah. There's one attribute that you change, and all of a sudden it does what many of us want. Awesome. I was thrilled. That's I, great. I couldn't believe it. Ah, I'm surprised we hadn't heard about this in, uh, well, in six and a half years. So Cool. But it's an old article. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. As you said, and it's always 06 article. Yep. Good. Cool. All right. Uh, we've got a couple of tips. We're, we're running. Uh, we're not out of time, but we're running out of time. So uh, moving on to Tony, he has a quick tip. He says, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, if trash has items that you wish to return to their original folders, do a select all. And then once highlighted, click on the trash icon in the trash folder pane in the little gray bar at the top, they return to their original positions. And he's right. Uh, and it works. And you highlight them and it works. So that, thanks, Tony. That's good stuff. And, uh, and Andrew, I did. I put it out here. Andrew has a tip to share. Hello, John and Dave, and possibly Pilot Pete. It's uh, Andrew from Colchester, Connecticut. Uh, show 402, I was the guy with the 2006 white MacBook who was uh, upgrading to the SSD. You guys said that, um, well, make a long story short, I got impatient, so I, you know, did the process myself, and I found that the latest version of Carbon Copy Cloner does indeed create a recovery partition for you, and it takes a matter of seconds. It does some unmounting, remounting on the fly, and recreates that recovery partition on the SSD as soon as you tell it that you want to clone Mac HD to that new drive. So it's a pretty much like one, two, three step process that takes a matter of minutes to do the recovery partition, and then you transfer the data, put the drive in, you're all set. Piece of cake. Just left it overnight, installed the drive in the morning, and I'm rolling. And the performance increase is incredible, even in an older machine. So Go with the SSD if you're thinking about it, anybody. So that's it. Thanks. And this is where you cut me off. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I know we mentioned it earlier, but it is important to uh, to remember. So um, moving into cool stuff found, there is one utility I've been using for a little bit. I think, John, you've been using it, and I'm not sure if Pete has yet or not, but we'll, uh, we'll make sure we get you using it. Uh, Created by Jeff Lynch called and Jeff Lynch and his partner. And I can't remember his partner's name, but anyway, it's called fruit juice and uh, it's available at fruitjuiceapp.com. This is an app that uh, has been a long time in the making. And uh, and what it does is it monitors your battery and how you use it and how often you use it on charge and how often you use it not on charge. And it a tells you what you're doing and whether what you're doing is good or bad. And then it also will walk you through the process of either conditioning your battery. If you have a removable battery, uh, sorry, calibrating your battery. If you have a removable battery uh, along the lines of Apple's guidelines, uh, which does include, you know, charging all the way up, leaving charge, then draining all the way down and then leaving it zero for five hours and then charging back up. I will walk you through this whole process and, and they, uh, they use a, their, their server will actually email you or text you if you want at different stages of the process. So you don't have to be right there at your Mac or, or watching your watch for the five hours and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and it'll do that for people with removable batteries. And then for those of us, uh, that have machines with, with built in batteries, it also goes through 
the uh, the calibration process and the conditioning, sorry, the conditioning process of that, which is a little bit different because you don't need to go through as much uh, because the battery is is built in hardware. So uh, really, really cool stuff. Awesome to have something tracking my battery. Finally, it's like, uh, you know, it's like it's almost like Jeff listened to our discussions like two and a half years ago and started building this app uh, right after that. And I, I think that at least is in part true. So go check it out fruitjuiceapp.com and uh, you can get a, a a free trial there and and then you can sign up and all of that stuff. You've been you've been using it and you've got removable machines, right? Yes, sir. And actually the cool part is that it reports. So yes, it reports every little nuance about your battery and the the cool part. So I think I told you I have the newer batteries. Yeah. And uh, the thing is right now I'm beyond the the uh, lifespan. Right. But they're still cranked along in that it shows me load cycle count, current, 385, factory, 300. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. it shows me this, but it shows me. So, so hats off to newer for the batteries that I got for my MacBook Pro early 2008. And that it shows me I'm at 90% of uh, the maximum. I actually so I think good I think batteries. And because I think part of it is you and I, Dave, when, when we talked about this, is that I would do what you suggested, which is to beat the crap out of the battery. I, I, yeah, I was going to say it's not hats off to newer necessarily. Uh, it's hats off to you for using your battery the right way. And and what fruit juice will do is is help. It'll show you how you've been using it. And it actually has oh, this yeah. little graph. And you can look at it and you can say, oh, actually, I've been I've been a bad boy. You know, I've been leaving oh, it, it on charge oh, too it, much. It enforced. It enforces or, or strongly Encourages. suggests proper behavior. Right. Yes. It right. says, all right, all right, leave it at maximum. Let it. And actually, it did things that I had not done before. It's like, okay, leave it at, at the, leave it plugged in for a while. And then when when it discharges, then it's also like, all right, leave it discharged for like, a, and I think it's this fi- was the thing that hours. caught my eye. Yeah. Yes. And that was the thing that I had not done. Uh, and, and I believe uh, it was that those are Apple's recommendations. So That's it right. actually helped me. It, it It's actually helping me get more life out of these batteries. But but I'm already kind of <laughs> impressed that I have 90 percent out of these because these batteries are been going for like two years. And, you know, that's that's pretty good. You're using them the right way. That That's the and that's the trick. And well, you, ta- you taught me right. Yeah. Well, we and we taught everybody right. I, th- I feel good about that. Good. So anyway, check out fruit juice. It's really, really good stuff. Um, and 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 very smooth interface. I, I really like the way. I mean, they it feels like a Mac app. It is a Mac app. Obviously, it's you know written from the ground up on Macs, for Macs, tested on Macs. It'll actually track uh, if you've got multiple. If you've got removable batteries, this is of course. It'll track multiple batteries, and it knows which one you've got in there. So it, you can you know it it and and when you swap one to the other it swaps its data set out. So it's not like it's tracking you. You know, it is tracking your usage across all of them, but, but it'll, it'll let you kind of see it granularly per battery. And that's, uh, that's handy. So fruitjuiceapp.com. Now uh, uh, let's see. Uh, you know what? We'll, uh, we'll play this comment because it, it's uh, it's cool stuff found. And we like that. Uh, John and Dave, uh, I am listening to you on three, nine, seven, talk about an app tracking your bike rides. Uh, it kind of pained me listening. Uh, check out uh, RunKeeper, uh, which works for bikes, uh, all kinds of activities, and it links into many things. 
I would leave more, but I'm breaking up floppy disks. Take care. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the tip. Yeah. In fact, several uh, many, many of you, in fact, have have suggested checking out Runkeeper as an alternative to Strava. Uh, I believe they're both uh, freemium uh, apps and that you can use basic functionality that is totally fine and may be all you need for free. Uh, and then, of course, you can pay for for even more. So and I think the only thing I'll mention. Ahead, yeah. Well, so Strava, we, we you and I both used it. Yep. Thing is, Strava has not only a bike app, but I've been actually using this over the last uh, couple of weeks. They have a walking app. Well, they call it Strava Run, I think. Okay. The thing is, you don't have to be running. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it feeds into the same database as the bike data. So if you're going for a vigorous stroll or a walk versus a bike ride, then you run this app and it feeds into the same database. And, and to me, the cool part is both the bike app, uh, if, you in, if you input certain data, and the walking app will estimate the number of calories that you've burned based on your, your uh, speed and your distance. Very cool. So it's kind of neat. No, I just did it today. And it's like, oh, you burned, you know, uh, 200 calories. You walked, you know, a mile or something like that. And it's like, wow. So Strava, I think, is a... Yeah, I, I like them and the price is right. And uh, of course, you can get more functions if you uh, throw them a few bucks. So, Awesome. Cool. Uh, all right. Did, did you uh, have any, uh, John, did you have any cool stuff found to throw in? Or Pete, did you have any to throw? Oh, I boy, know, do I. Uh, okay. Pete, John, do you have, go! just so I know, uh, do you have anything to add or, or should I wrap up after Pete? Go Pete. Okay, go okay. Pete. All right. In the next hour, I shall cover these. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> That'll do it, folks. Here we go. All right. Uh, uh, I have a bunch, but a uh, quick and easy one. I'll just mention the name, Mental Case. It's kind of a flashcard thing. Uh, not a big deal. Bump. The old bump where you take the iPhones, everybody has it, uh, has to have it, and you can bump and you trade your information. Go to http colon slash slash bu dot mp. Then fire up Bump on your iPhone, and it will allow you to transfer using Bump photos from your phone to your computer, right into your huh. downloads folder. So it's a quick and easy way to get wirelessly get photos off your phone and uh, and onto the onto your hard drive. Uh, and then the other one is a is a twofer. It's uh, for those who are switchers and Windows users, you will remember C Cleaner, which was short for Crap Cleaner. It's now a Mac. Uh, app uh, in 103. It's at uh, piri, dot com. Uh, it's a, it's a freeware uh, app. The nice thing about uh, CCleaner, uh, it cleans off a whole bunch of gunk on your machine, but it allows you to select cookies you want to keep. Get rid of all my oh. cookies, except, oh, you know what? Keep these, because I like having my bank cookies available to me. Uh, so it lets you go in and selectively do that sort of thing, uh, which is really nice. And then along the lines of getting rid of cookies, uh, I told you I had a bunch, but uh, Flush. Flash cookies are persistent and yes. nasty items. Flush is a freeware item to get rid of Flash cookies off your system. So that's four quick ones. All right. Well, thanks, Pete. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't know that I kept up with you on the uh, show notes there. I got two of them, so yeah, okay. hey. Okay, mental case. 
Uh, that's an expensive app, but well worth it. Fully integrates you, you, with your iPhone, your iPad, and your laptop. Yeah. For stu- I use it for studying my systems on my airplane and keeping myself current. Uh, and it'll, it'll if you as you go through, if you get things wrong, you mark it, it'll, and you'll see those items more often. Great. It's more than flashcards, though, because it'll incorporate pictures and videos and audio and anything you want to put in to your flashcards uh. f- cards for studying. Uh, the other one was Bump. Got, yeah, I got him. Yeah, got I got him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got was, him. Was, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, Catching up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. <laughs> Keep up, Dave. Up All right. Uh, let's see. So it is, uh, we did talk a little bit about, uh, well, you know, actually, there was one more question that uh, that we might as well play. Hey, guys. Joe here from Raleigh. Uh, I'm just realizing we're being a couple of two shows behind here listening that I probably missed the boat, but I'm going to go ahead and interject anyway. Uh, on show 397, I think, or maybe 398, you had requested uh, input on, you know, something to talk about for the show 400, which I'm afraid may have already passed. It did. But in any case, an idea that you may want to bring in as, as a, uh, uh, a tangent on one of the shows is what is the worst worst? What is the most interesting thing that you guys did, assuming that the statute of limitations have now expired <laughs> on it, that you were most afraid of getting caught at? Anyway, that just kind of struck me as maybe being a rather interesting conversation. Yeah, Aaron, sorry. Sorry, Joe. Uh, apparently, we're out of time, but uh, but that would have been a great one. But uh, sorry, we didn't get it in for four hundred, so it's what? Uh, it's too late. Anyway, well, let me tell you. Uh, no, you big baby. Feedback <laughs> at macgeekab.com is try the. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Everybody, no, no, Pete, no, no, chime I'm, in. I'm. I'm not gonna. No, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna answer the question. All right, so it's feedback at MacGeekab.com, and we'll unmute John in a minute here as soon as he finishes answering the question. Uh, John, it's 206-666-GEEK, which is? Here's what I got caught at. All right. 4334. Uh, Thanks, Pete. It's 4335, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, aired. That's right. It's 4335. Uh, Boy, you're bundling everything. Times, uh, if you think after all these times of hearing it, I might pay attention sometime. And, uh, but where yeah, else can you reach us? I'm going to tell you. Hey, Dave. Listening? Are you, are yeah, you? I'm here. Yeah, you're on. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> Facebook.com slash MacGeekGap. That's one way. Another is... Have you heard of Twitter? I use it sometimes. Yeah, me too. So, Twitter. If you're on Twitter and you want to follow me, it's Sean F. Ron. You want to follow him, it's Dave Hamilton. You want to follow the other guy, it's Pilot Pete. You want to follow the show to learn when show notes and shows and other interesting things are happening. Mac Geek App and, of course, Mac Observer. On Twitter is uh, the Mac Observer. What more can I say? That's how it works. Uh, you can leave us iTunes comments. You can do all of that. You know, we do want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and more coming soon. 
Rocky converts this show to AAC for us and for you every time, almost every time. Uh, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. And we know you do with all the links and the chapters and all of that great stuff. So thank you, Michael. And uh, and of course, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all of the bandwidth to get this to you, not just from one place, but they've got points of presence all over the world and our files live in all of them. And uh, so it makes it so that you can download Lickety Split and uh, from wherever you are. Of course, the podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebones Software, Text Expander from Smile, and Gazelle, as you've heard, all through Backbeat Media. And that'll do it, folks. We are back with uh, show 405. Whenever we're back with show 405, I think it's I think show 405 is next Monday, if I'm not mistaken, and we look forward to that. John, we look forward to hearing from what you hear at uh, at the gadget event. And until then, especially while you're in New York at the uh, at the gadget event, there, John, have fun and don't get caught. Mm-hmm.